What's up, everyone? This is episode 223 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, uh, it is that time of the year. A lot of you know that I work at a school, and school is officially out for the summer now, so obviously I'm very excited about that. I can spend more time on card stuff, among other things, as if I don't spend enough time on cards already. And kind of in line with the 2023 goals I set for myself back in January, I've decided I want to take advantage of this time and do some things I haven't done before. Maybe check out some shops I've never been to, or maybe go to some different shows that I haven't been to either. So I got a good start on that this past weekend when I drove to Spring Hill for the Spring Hill Card Show or the Spring Hill Collectible Show, something to that effect, which is about an hour and a half from my house. And I know I've said this before, but I'm spoiled with the amount of local card shows in Central Florida. The only problem is it's a lot of the same people and a lot of the same cards. The inventory is not necessarily turning over quick enough. So I decided I had to extend my drive a little bit further in the hopes of seeing something new. And I'm glad I did because this was a 70 table show held at the parish hall of a Catholic church. So it had a bit of an old school card show vibe to it. Uh, And I mean that in a good way. There were a lot of digging opportunities. And as you guys know, I'm going to take full advantage of that. Now, you might remember the hideous, and I can't emphasize that enough, the hideous Allen Iverson mashup that I bought recently. Been talking all about it. Did several YouTube videos about that. I must be a magnet to this kind of stuff because immediately when I walked in, I came across a matted Carmelo Anthony piece that had an autograph card on the top and then um, the Adidas symbol or the Adidas logo from a 2012 warm-up on the bottom. And just like the Iverson, this thing was pretty hideous. So I asked the dealer what they wanted, and they just kind of shrugged and said, how about five bucks? Well, that was a no-brainer for me. And when I'm looking at this, you know, I assumed the autograph was probably a FLIR bankruptcy card, meaning the autograph's still legit, but it was not um, stamped and put in a pack you know, is meant for replacement, which that really doesn't bother me as long as I know the autograph's legitimate. I realize it's not as valuable as the pack pulled copy, but like I said, if if it's for my PC, that doesn't really bother me. Well, I was wrong. I came home, I ripped that thing open, and it was a serial numbered autograph. And it was built into the matting in a way that didn't hurt the card. No glue, no adhesive, nothing like that. So among other things, I walked away with a $5 Carmelo Anthony Auto for the PC and a premium game-worn relic that I can experiment with over the course of the summer. I didn't want to experiment too much myself with the Iverson logo, man. I felt like that was too valuable of a piece. This Adidas logo, I I think I can. So anyway, that was a big win for me. And that was only the first table. So I picked up some other odds and ends while I was there, including a terrifying Mickey Mouse card that I think might be from the 1940s. So if you're interested in seeing more about that show and then also the destruction of that Carmela Anthony piece, both of those videos are up on my YouTube channel uh, as we speak here. So uh, go ahead, you know, go on your phone, pull up that YouTube video, put it on your watch list, whatever you need to do, but that stuff's there if you want to see it. Now, as for the rest of today's episode, which I'm trying to work in between thunderstorms here, so you're probably going to hear some of that stuff in the background, but today is the 16th installment of the listener mailbag. 
And I like doing these things a lot because I feel like they bring a little bit of continuity to the show. By now, you know, a lot of you know what I collect and your questions are sometimes tailored around that and they give me a chance to talk more about my collection among other things. So obviously had a lot of fun with this one as I always do. So I'll have that here for you shortly. Make sure to stay tuned for that. Before I get there though, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com. Your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 31 million trading cards from baseball's biggest stars like Shohei Otani, Aaron Judge, and Mookie Betts to Marvel favorites like Spider-Man, Thor, and Captain America. ComC has something for every type of collector. Visit ComC.com today to build your collection with your favorite cards. Additionally, some of you have asked me for ways that you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay and Amazon affiliate links. And using these links cost you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. So to access these links, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever logo of whatever store you're going to, shop as planned, right? So whatever you are going to buy anyway, just click my link first. The show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www waxmuseumpodcast.com This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, today's main segment is the 16th installment of the Listener Mailbag. And every time I go to social media and ask for questions, I've, I've got a statement on the end of my post. It's kind of the same post I copy and paste every time, but it says, no market or chart questions, please. And a few people have asked me why I put that on there. The truth of the matter is those questions, number one, they don't interest me. Uh, But number two, there are other content creators out there that are way more qualified to answer that type of stuff or are way more willing to lie through their teeth about it, either one. So with that being said, I got a kick out of this first question from Josh, a.k.a. Mitten State Collector, who asked, is it off limits to ask you what sort of chart you would use to display the number of marketplaces catering to the hobby. I think we use the term catering to the hobby loosely here. I don't think all of them are really looking out for our best needs, but uh, obviously Josh is being a little bit facetious there. But yeah, the number of marketplaces out there right now is pretty crazy. Although some of them appear to be folding or, or, or merging or being bought out, you know, we'll see. I know from a buying side, I've gotten a few cards for cheaper than I think I should have. Um, and I think in part because trying to keep up with everything is exhausting, not to mention the fact that uh, navigating some of these websites is a challenge in itself. I know there are even services now that try to consolidate all of your searching at one spot, which sounds like a pretty good idea if it actually works, but yeah, we probably need a chart for all of this stuff. It's getting kind of out of hand. All right, next question comes from another Pistons fan, 727 Sports Card Greg, who asks, What's your plan to scale back on your bitterness towards the Pistons? Is it counseling, group therapy? Is it self-reflection? All right, so a little context for this question, other than the fact that I, I just hate the Pistons, right? I see Greg at some of the local card shows around here, and I had to let him know because he is a Pistons fan. I did a little celebratory fist pump on the couch when the Pistons slipped back to fifth in the NBA lottery, right? in the lottery draft. And um, that was the next best outcome since my Pacers didn't move up any spots. 
I will say, though, I haven't had to do much with these uh, hateful feelings in recent years because both teams have been pretty bad. But I feel like it's important to keep that pilot light lit for the time being, just in case all this young talent develops and both teams make a meaningful run. I would love nothing more than to see both teams get back to the playoffs and the Pacers just punch the Pistons right in the mouth. Metaphorically speaking, of course, although it might be a good time to bring Ron Artest back to cheer them on from the sidelines, I think the franchise probably wouldn't let that happen. Not the best PR move. Anyway, to answer your question, though, there is currently zero plan, no plan to scale this bitterness back, and I don't think there ever will be. All right, Dan O'Shea Cards ask, horizontal cards in slabs, are you for it? I don't think I've ever graded a horizontal card myself, but if I see one that I want, the slab isn't necessarily a deal breaker. The card can always be freed if need be. Um, so, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, I, that I'm a huge fan of that, but like, you know, whatever. It is what it is. Um, next up, another general card question from Sports Card Legend who asks, favorite FLIR inserts of all time? And I get a lot of insert questions, and, and really, I'm not very good at them, or at least I feel like I'm not, because I, I never really was into inserts. I never really collected them. Even now, uh, I'm just dipping my toes in different ones, and, and to be honest, it's it's mostly Panini inserts, because uh, Paul George, in the tr- early 2010s, was in more Panini inserts than Reggie Miller was probably in inserts in a previous era. Um, you know, if you think of all the big insert sets from the 90s, how many of those were Reggie actually in? You know, he made a, a few of the secondary ones. I think I've mentioned 98 Molten Metal Fusion before. So other than that, if you're asking me, I'm probably going to go with the popular ones. Uh, I like a lot of the die cut sets. You know, I, I've got a linchpins of Antoine Walker. That's a real nice card. I like some of the acetate stuff too. I've got an Antoine Walker. That's jam. Um, and no, I, I don't collect Antoine Walker. I just happen to find his stuff in lots more than any other players. Before I finish this answer, though, I've got to pick at least one from my favorite era, the 2000s. I love the 2004-2005 Hot Hands insert. I know I've said it before on here. Ron Artest just so happens to be in that set. Uh, it made my top 50 cards when I did that list last year, so I'm pretty confident it would still be in there today as well. It's just a great looking card, and it's one that you have to see in hand. It's not one that uh, a picture does not do it justice. A video does all right, but you got to see it in hand. Okay, fun question from late 90s B-Ball who wrote, There are players from the 90s and early 2000s who were not elite statistical monsters, MVPs, or winners of championships. However, their cards command premiums because of a sect of diehard nostalgic collectors based on their flashy play and or bravado. They currently command higher prices compared to similar or better players than they were. Prime examples are Jason Williams and Penny Hardaway. Which players from the past 10 to 15 years do you predict may have similar cult collector followings 20 years from now? The thing about the players you named is that their stuff was popular while they were still playing, even though they weren't always the best players on the court. So, I don't think we're going to see anyone from the past decade all of a sudden get a following like that. If we do, it would probably be for other reasons. And I'm going to give you a football example real quick, although it is one kind of local to me and and to my team. But Pat McAfee, right, former punter, he was popular with Colts fans, but he didn't have a ton of cards. And from what I remember, they weren't really sought after either. 
Well, he retires and, of course, reemerges with his second career, right? He's got his show. He's on college game days and on uh, SmackDown, I think. And as a result, his older stuff skyrockets, so much so that Panini made new stuff for him. So if we're going to see a new cult following in basketball, it's probably going to have to be a case like Pat McAfee, where the player gains a substantial following in an entirely different way. Uh, and no, sorry, Alex, J.J. Redick and his podcast, um, still not on that level, right? It's going to have to be something even bigger than that. Uh, I would say Pat's success has far succeeded uh, J.J.'s, even though he's on first take, right? Maybe his card's got a little bump. I don't know. Anyway, we got a finals question from Family Sports Card Unboxing, who asked if the Nuggets hang on to win, is Jokic the real Luka? He'll have two MVPs in a championship. Unlike Giannis, however, he keeps accomplishing feats on par with the Rushmore guys. All right, so we went from Jokic to Luka. It's hard to even say this. Jokic to Luka to Giannis. There's a lot to unpack there. So I'm going to give my best take on what I think the question means, and then I'm going to give my answer. Now, when you say the, quote, real Luca, I'm assuming you're referring more to what people wanted him to be or want him to eventually be. A young player that comes in and dominates and wins multiple MVPs and rings, um, which I'm just wondering who it, who has been that person. Now, as a side note, I'm not even a big Luca fan. I think he's a really hard player to build a team around. I don't think Mark Cuban's the guy that can do it, but we'll see how patient the hobby is with him over time. As far as accomplishments, though, it's hard to get a good grasp on this in the moment because we are smack dab in the middle of Jokic doing something truly special. He's got two MVPs. Looks like he could be on his way to a ring. I don't want to assume it's there. And he's only 28. And I say truly special. Giannis did the same thing from 2019 to 2021. He got the two MVPs. He got the ring. And it's probably a little short-sighted to imply that he's done or that he's not accomplishing anything anymore, seeing as he just notched a career-high 31 points per game, also at age 28. I will add, to me, it doesn't make it any less special that two players did that in the span of less than five years. In the bigger picture of the NBA, right? That's how we should probably view things, not just the here and now. In the bigger picture of the league, very few people have done this still. So both players can be special, and both players can be celebrated. It's not mutually exclusive. Anyway, I don't know, um, like I said, there was a lot to that question. I don't know if I answered that in the way that you were looking for, but I will say this. The hobby's always going to have its flavor of the moment, and always have expectations for players that are near impossible to live up to, and it's not fair. Winning an MVP award or an NBA title is really hard. And not many people are able to say they've done it. There is so much parody in the league right now. Um, I would just as soon sit back and appreciate and collect the players that continue to impress me from night to night. All right, speaking of collecting, I got a lot of good questions about my collection or my collecting philosophy. One of them came from Slang and Rocks PC who asked, what does your pyramid of game used cards look like? Pacers, NBA Finals, game dated, or photo auction matched? And he put a question mark. Um, I would say you hit the nail on the head when it comes to the type of stuff I'm looking for. And the more of those features a card has, the higher up it's going to be. So for instance, my Reggie Miller finals patch, it ranks really high because there's some overlap there. 
Otherwise, though, I think I would stick with the order you listed them in. So uh, you probably predicted that when you asked the question. So if you did, kudos to you because you were right. Pacers, NBA Finals, game dated, and then photo or auction matched. Green Stiller, he wrote, has got a hypothetical situation here. A genie makes all the patches in the hobby disappear forever. What are you focusing your new PC around? No patches, right? That's no fun. Um, I think I would still lean into areas that have continuity, right? I'm really big about continuity. So Pacers base refractors and gold refractors, which is something I've I've picked up on more in the last few years. Uh, and then obviously when I say refractors, right, that's, that's a general term, but substitute prism for refractor during the Panini eras. And then on top of that, I think I would focus on rookies of iconic players Um, In doing so, I could still narrate the history of my favorite franchise and then the league as a whole. So I think that would be a good way to go about doing that. Uh, There would still be some speculative aspects of it because if I'm wanting to grab iconic players, you kind of have to project who that could be ahead of time and grab them when they're available, when they're affordable. So that's what I would go with for that. Uh, Another hypothetical here comes from Tasty Card Sandwich. (laughs) He said... Your collection walks into a bar where Rick Smits, Ron Artest, and Jeff Foster are all hanging out eating veggies and hummus, drinking mocktails, and regaling each other with the tales of their days with the Pacers. Your collection sachets over to the bar, orders a drink, and puts out the vibe. Which of the three players makes a move on your collection first? Uh, I gotta say, I didn't see that one coming here. So, This is definitely an interesting group to have to analyze. And I thought about this probably a lot longer than I should have. Um, I would say Rick Smith's had a lot of foot issues over the course of his career. So I don't peg him as one to make any quick moves, right? There's really no, um, you know, nothing quick happening there. The other two, uh, I have seen evidence of them being intoxicated on at least one occasion. Ron Artest, of course, after the Lakers won the title. And Jeff Foster... Uh, did not win a title, but there were some pictures of him in the 2000s that hit the Pacers for him that were, um, we'll just say this, they were entertaining for us at the time. I don't know what the situation was, but he was not uh, his normal self. So anyway, there, there's that to consider. And while Ron has always been a bit of a wild card, I think I'm going to go with Jeff Foster here because as everyone should know by now, he is a bit of a rebound specialist. All right, assuming my collection dodges all unwanted advances from Mr. Foster, New York City Hoops Collector wrote, please share your favorite non-basketball cards with us. How about I give you five of them in no particular order? And I, I, you know, I could look through my stuff next week and it might change, but I'm going to give you five. So let's start with a, a few football ones. I've got a 2014 Prism Gold of Andrew Luck that I shared on my social media not long ago. Uh, I bought that one right after he retired for $23 shipped because people were just getting rid of his stuff for next to nothing. I don't, you know, they were, they thought it was all going to go to zero for some reason. They forgot that whole nostalgia bit. So I was swooping in and I tried to grab a few pieces while I could. Um, Another Andrew Luck card that I've got is an immaculate Reebok logo patch numbered one out of two. Um, I think it looks great. It's got an acetate surface. And uh, it's, it's the blue jersey, right, with the white logo. Now, um, he never played a game in a Reebok jersey, and I know Vintage Pacers, Steve, I know that bothers him to no end, and he can't stand that card. 
but uh, I still like it. Yeah, it's player worn, but I think it's just a good looking card, and that's okay sometimes. All right, the third one is not player worn, it's game worn. It's a 2005 Tops Pristine in the name nameplate patch of Marvin Harrison, uh, which is designed almost exactly like the basketball counterpart in Tops Big Game. It's just the football set was a way smaller checklist. Um, I know Harrison was in it. I think it's just like a handful of guys. I think maybe Alex Smith was in there as well. Um, not many people in there, though, and so I was able to get a Marvin Harrison. I can't remember the last time I saw a card from that set pop up. Uh, let's get a baseball card in here. I have a 2003 Upper Deck SPX Dual Relic of Ted Williams and Barry Bonds. <laughs> Great little combo there. Uh, it's got a nice patch for Ted Williams and then a base for Barry Bonds. I think it's a base from an All-Star game. I'd have to look at the back of it again. And then the last card, which is a non-sport card, and this one's a little bit controversial. It's a 2016 Leaf Pop Century Marquee Material, I'm sorry, Marquee Materials Jumbo Pants Relic of Jack Ruby. I'll let you know, I'll let you think about that for a second. If you're wondering who that is, it's the Dallas nightclub owner that shot and killed Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, so yeah, a little bit controversial. I know not everyone's into that. I don't want to celebrate death necessarily, but very interesting component of history, really into JFK stuff. So I, I had to pick that one up. So yeah, there's five for you. If I went and looked through my stuff, like I said, I, I might've forgotten about a few others. Um, and maybe a Reggie Jackson patch auto for baseball that I, I didn't mention, but those are the ones that come to mind at the moment. Okay. Frugal cards wrote, do you put your cards out on display in your house? If so, are there any one touches or common cases that you would trust with UV protection? Um, I have a few cards on my desk that are out of the sunlight, but they're low value cards. I used to have a really nice Paul George booklet on display, but I got scared that it might start to fade. So I took that one. I put it back in a box. Um, I just don't trust the cases that much, no matter what they put on them. I just don't trust them. Uh, I'd love to display them, but I, I just don't trust them. Now, my solution to all that for the non-autos and relics has been binders. So even though they're not out in the open, it does give, give me a little bit better access to flip through those. A lot better than digging out a big box and, and going through that stuff and putting it back and all that work. So uh, like you've heard before, I'm, I'm trying to go to binders. That's kind of my solution for right now. Okay, I mentioned Alex Connell collection earlier with that little JJ Reddick part. Uh, Alex always comes through with a good question here. So I love this one. A three-part answer needed, he said. Name one superstar, one average starter, and one bench player that you wish could make their way to Indiana for you to PC them. All right, well, when it comes to superstars, a lot of the guys I would want to bring here, um, you know, by the time they would come here, they're just a shell of their former selves, or, you know, or they're going to be at that spot in a, a couple years or a few years. But I would say either KD... Steph Curry or Dame Lillard. I, I love all three of those guys. Giannis, big Giannis fan. But um, I think something would have to go horribly wrong for them to become Pacers, though. It's just um, it's just not likely, right? But uh, for my average starter, maybe this one could happen. I still don't think so, but maybe. I'm going to choose R.J. Barrett. And yeah, I know, R.J. Barrett. I'm still a big R.J. fan, and he desperately needs a change of scenery. 
And now what's funny about this question though, about choosing an average starter, a couple years ago, if you would have asked me this, I would have said Buddy Heald. And then of course he did get traded to the Pacers, but Panini's been so far behind, all his Kings cards are, are, or I'm sorry, all his Pacers cards have Kings patches. So it's kind of ruined the collecting aspect of that transaction. And who knows, he might, you know, he might even get traded this summer. So I hope we at least get one nice Pacers jumbo patch for him before that happens. And then the last one you asked about was a bench player. And uh, I thought about this a lot. I don't know if this even counts, but bring TJ Warren back. I love TJ Warren's game. And I'm not just, that's not just me thinking about the bubble, right? That was one event, even though it was a big event. That's just one event. He's a great defender, a lot better defender than people give him credit for. He's got a great mid-range shot, and he just kind of quietly goes about his business. So I love TJ's time here in Indiana. He was our leading scorer when Oladipo was hurt. Uh, Bring TJ Warren back. Phoenix, you don't need him, right? Bring him back. All right. Steve, a.k.a. Vintage Pacers, wrote, With tops coming back to basketball and assuming they bring the Heritage product back, which we are all hoping for, or I speak for myself, I am hoping for. What is a Pacers legend current player dual auto combination you'd like to see? What's your obvious pairing that tops might likely do? And then one combo that people might not expect. Well, if they sign Reggie Miller, I think the obvious play would be to get Reggie Miller and then get Tyrese Halliburton on the same card. And um, Panini had Reggie for a little bit, and it's it's a shame that they never got Reggie and Victor Oladipo on the same card while both players were signing for them. Uh, they had all that all the chance in the world to do that, but instead they had Reggie getting cards with Lonzo Ball because of the UCLA factor. And I get it; he was a high pick, but you know, give us Pacers fans something here, right? Now the non-obvious pairing, I think it would be fun to have a uh, since it is a heritage product. A 1972-inspired dual design, right? So it kind of looks like the 72 top set. Now, you know, they didn't have dual autographs in that set. But maybe, I don't know, maybe you could design it kind of like the the triple cards they had or the trio cards they had and make spots for an autograph there. So have that with George McGinnis because that was his rookie year. And then whoever the Pacers rookie is when this product comes out. I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, Panini did something like that with passing the torch, but it was it was a hideous looking card with stickers. Was not a heritage design, so let's fix that. Now, on top of that, if Topps does this, it might be a good way for them to add value to a player's auto that otherwise wouldn't be there. Because like George McGinnis, his stuff is super cheap right now. People are really not searching for it. They really don't want it. But if you pair it with some of the old designs or with players he's never been with before. You give, um, you know, him signing autographs, which is in this case is is an asset that you have, you give that new life and it really doesn't cost you anything more than it already did, right? It's not like it's going to start, you know, charging more to sign. So this is the kind of stuff that Panini stopped doing for the most part because it takes effort, but it's time for it to come back. Okay, a couple more before I close things out here. Alan, aka Suns Win Cards, ask. Now that you have your Bill Russell rookie, is there another big chase card you are after? The listeners need something to root for. Well, first off, thank you for rooting for me. I I really enjoyed reading that. I, I'm not just saying that. 
But um, the thing I enjoyed about the Russell Chase so much was that it was uh, a tough card to track down, but still doable. Because a lot of the cards I'm looking for, I and they're just not out there, right? Or they're one-on-ones, right? So the, the odds of finding them are not great. But I can go to a decent-sized show, and there's going to be a Russell there. Might not be the grade I want. Might not be the price I want. But it, it gives me hope that, hey, if I keep going to these shows, it's going to be there. And then I can, you know, put myself in a position to acquire it when that time comes. If I had to choose another card like that, although I don't, I don't see this card very much, but it would probably be a George Mikan rookie. Um, I don't know. that That's, it's up there. And I'm not really making the moves to put myself in a position to make that happen. It's kind of just in the back of my mind. So probably not that one. Another card that's been on my mind is a Reggie Miller scripted swatches from 2003 Exquisite. And I have seen a couple of those at shows, even though they're numbered to 25. The asking price has been astronomical. You know, that's expected. It's probably still higher than I'm looking to pay. But um, I do, you know, also keep that one in the back of my mind. And hey, you know, there's always the hope that that I could find another 90s gym and a lot. And all of that could change. Right? And I'm not counting on that. And I haven't even been looking much at lots lately. But it did happen with the Russell. So I can't completely rule it out. Okay, last question. We've got a national question. Carter, a.k.a. MC Basketball PC, ask, what's your game plan for a successful trip to the National this year? Well, uh, this is not the fun part of the answer, but the first thing I need to do, I need to take better care of myself. The last big show I went to, I didn't drink enough water. Uh, everything kind of caught up with me the third or fourth day, and I know that, that makes me sound like an old man here, but um, you know, you really got to take care of yourself because you're probably eating like garbage the whole time too. So at least try to, you know, get some physical activity in, drink some water, all that fun stuff. After all that's out of the way, I definitely want to hit at least a couple of trade nights. I have a lot of good memories of going to those. And um, I just bought my ticket for the Allen Iverson signing. That'll be the first time I've ever paid for an athlete's signature at the National. The plan is to get that custom Logo Man card signed that I'm getting made right now. So Reclaim Customs, we're going to be collaborating on that. Um, so that's in the works, right? I'm pretty excited about that. I just watched the Allen Iverson, uh, Larry Brown documentary on NBA TV. And, uh, I'm, you know, I sat there and I, I, my wife was watching or she was sitting there while I was watching it. And I said, I've, I've got to come up with one question to ask Allen while he's signing. Cause I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm only going to get one, right? So what do I want to ask Allen while he's signing? So I watched that documentary. I'm still thinking on it, but, uh, there are some things moving in my head then. So thinking about that. Uh, as far as things I'd like to pick up, maybe a couple nice PC pieces, obviously Pacers patches, if those are there, or Hall of Fame patches. And then I'd like to try and document the whole process or the whole experience some along the way. Not so much that it gets in the way of me enjoying it, but I did get a GoPro for Christmas. I've used it some throughout the years at local shows for my card show videos. I'm getting better with it, or at least I'm trying to, right? Experimenting more. I think that would be a fun way to capture some of the more memorable moments this time around and then be able to go back and watch it from year to year um, and, and just look back and, and kind of prep for each show just based off of that. All right, well, there you have it. Thanks to everyone that submitted a question this week. Maybe there was something I talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. 
In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links, tag Taco Bell, and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.